What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. That is the personal account. And, of course, Ethos Fantasy BB is where you find all of the updates to our site, any content that we post from any of our writers, including myself or any of the other guys on staff, articles, podcasts, polls, news and notes, all of our baseball content you guys can find conveniently there at Ethos Fantasy BB. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter or social media, please do go check out sportsethos.com. That is where you'll find all that same great stuff. But today we are going to talk about something that I have mentioned a, a little bit. We talked about it on Twitter a few days ago, and we did a first part in this series a couple weeks back on the podcast as well. And we're talking about ADP values and fades. We're talking today about picks 100 to 200. Now, if you missed it a couple of weeks back, I think it was three weeks at this point, we talked about guys within the top 100 that I really like at their price and guys that I don't like. I think it was eight guys that I was targeting and seven guys that I was fading. That sounds right. Uh, it might have been seven and eight. I can't remember the way it broke down exactly now. But we are going to continue that. And as I said at the time, every three weeks or so, we're going to continue this same trend of talking about guys within certain pick ranges that I like slash don't like. Now, there's a couple of different reasons why we do this. Mainly right now, it is so that you guys who are drafting early can get these guys probably a little bit cheaper than they will be going in January, in February, and into March, and maybe even into April, uh, depending on how late you guys push your drafts. I think that a lot of these guys are probably not going to move around so, so much if you're talking about the NFBC site, but it will change once you start talking about Yahoo and ESPN and those different, uh, more popular fantasy sites. Now, I realize that when I do these shows, especially this time of year, I'm talking about ADP numbers that are regarding NFBC leagues because that's what we have to deal with right now. That's where the majority of drafting is taking place. That's who has the majority of ADP data right now. So I'm referencing those numbers, and I do realize that a lot of you guys are not drafting right now, and a lot of you guys, once you start drafting, things will look a little bit different because you are playing on probably Yahoo or ESPN or Fantrax, maybe CBS, a couple other ones, but those are the big dogs where probably 95-plus percent of you guys are going to be playing. So I just want you to keep that in mind. If I say, you know, this player's going to pick 107, and then you get into your draft, let's say a couple months from now, and you say, this guy's going to pick 72. Joe was saying, you know, Joe was talking out of his ass. I'm not. I'm talking about this current data, and it will change a little bit, and it'll also vary a little bit by site. So these shows, it just gives you an idea of the players that I think generally are going to be under or overvalued because there shouldn't be too big of a change between platforms. You're not generally going to see a guy going like 30th overall on ESPN, and then he's going 200th on another site. It'll generally be pretty close. It will vary a little bit depending on how many outfielders are in your league, if you have middle and corner uh, infielders, if you have two catchers, these things will vary. So I just say that now off the top so you, you guys can keep that in mind and say, okay, you're writing down this player at pick 157. Joe likes him. He might not be going to pick 157 by the time you're drafting in March. So that's just something to keep in mind here as we do go over this. Now, some of these guys we have talked about a little bit because we have been doing these positional review shows. And I've talked about some of these guys and just briefly mentioned how I like them or dislike them, whatever. Uh, that's kind of been the strategy we've been going through for the last couple of months in the offseason. I will review a player. I'll talk about how they did in 23 and also talk about how I like them for 24. So some of this may be a little bit of retread if you guys do listen regularly. And I appreciate if you do, but I just wanted to have this show in one spot where you guys could say, okay, these are the guys that Joe is targeting right now. He's the, these are the guys that he thinks 
are going to be good values. It's spread out a little bit. If you're talking about my second base review, I might like three of those guys and hate 12 of those guys. So this is just a kind of a way to centralize my thoughts on who is a value. But the preamble is out of the way, uh, and let's get into the meat and potatoes. And we'll start off with Pete Fairbanks. Pete Fairbanks is the number one guy that I'm looking at here uh, between picks 100 and 200. His ADP right now is 102. I think there's a good chance that Pete Fairbanks probably maybe doesn't move up so much because I don't really know how much you know stock people are going to put into him after a season where he did miss time coming off of another season where you know he did miss time as well. 24 innings in 2022, 45 innings in 2023, but they have been just so incredible when he has been healthy. If you look specifically at this year, in the 45 innings, we still got 25 saves out of him in 49 appearances. We got a 258 ERA. We got a 37% strikeout rate to go along with uh, just shy of 11% walk rate. He was never going to keep that immaculate 3.4% walk rate that he had in 2022, obviously. He's always been a guy who, you know, a typical kind of reliever, uh, typical back-end kind of reliever stuff where you're looking at 30-plus percent strikeout rate, generally a 10-plus percent walk rate. But you are getting the guy who should be going into the season as the closer. And, you know, the previous health issues are kind of a concern, but he did show us even in a very small sample this season of 49 games, 45 innings, that he could still return incredible value. 25 saves with the strikeouts that he put up in those 45 innings. You're talking 68 strikeouts. So, it's not like he was, even though he didn't give you a full season worth of time, it was almost like close to a full season worth of production. There's a lot of closers where you didn't get 25 saves out of. You might have got those 70 strikeouts, but Pete Fairbanks showed us, even in an abbreviated year, that he can give you really special production. Now, his overall season ranking, despite playing about half a year, a little more than half a year probably, was 108th. He was the 108th ranked player on Yahoo. 258 ERA, 101 whip, the strikeouts, everything was good. He also added in a couple of victories there. Now, I think at the price you're getting Pete Fairbanks, there's not really at that point many closers that I'm going to be considering in the elite category still on the board at this point. So a lot of people will push up closers into the second round, into the third round for some of them, and I kind of understand it. But there's not really a need to when you can kind of wait on a guy like a Fairbanks, pass pick 100, and you're still getting that same kind of production. Now, the health is a question, but the health is always going to be a question specifically for closers because a lot of the time, these are the guys who are throwing 100, 101. They have very, you know, crazy kind of deliveries. You saw it with Felix Batista last year. Felix Batista, you know, he's giving you that stupid level of production. It's just so, so good. But you almost kind of know just the way he's throwing the ball <clears throat> that he's going to hurt himself. And you see that <clears throat> a lot of the times with closers that they do get hurt or they do throw in a in an odd manner. So I don't really look at the closer position as being particularly stable in any way. You know, you can take a second round closer. It might pay off. It might not. You can take a 17th round closer. The guy might be healthy. He might be not. And by payoff, that's pretty much what I mean there. As long as the guy is healthy and he keeps the job, he should pay off. But that's, you know, the huge question there. Now, in terms of the guys who are going really early up at the closer position, <clears throat> Devin Williams at 37, Josh Hader at 43, Edwin Diaz at 43, Classe at 45, Camilo Doval at 51, uh, Duran is going at 56, Iglesias at 61. These guys are all going to go within a short span of each other because once one closer goes off the board, that tends to start a domino effect of everybody saying, shit, I'm not, I'm not going to get my closer if I don't take him now. I need to have one anchor. I'll take him in the third round and I'll go for uh, Josh Hader. 
a lot of people will do that. And you'll see that, especially in NFBC drafts, you have a lot of reactionary picks. So as soon as one starter goes off the board, you see a f- the floodgates open up and starters get taken every pick for like two rounds. Once closers start going, they're going to start going <clears throat> like hotcakes. But a guy like Fairbanks is outside of that range where he's going to be pushed up to that same extent. His minimum pick is 72. The maximum is 150. And you've got a lot of closers who are going before him. Romano is still in that group. Diaz, Bednar. You have Paul Sewald, Ryan Presley, Andres Munoz, Ryan Helsley. All of these guys are going ahead of him. You're talking by ADP. He's like the 15th closer or something like that. And you're getting from him that elite per inning, per game production. The health aspect is concerning, but it's also concerning to me for all of these guys. So instead of taking a second or third round closer that probably has the same level or close to the same level of injury risk as a Pete Fairbanks, why not wait until you're in round, say, you know, seven or so roughly uh, to take him? That's roughly where the ADP is about pick 100 in a 15 teamer. Why not wait a couple extra rounds, let everybody else get their closers, and then you can kind of pad your middle rounds with either starters or you can go for position players, whatever it is, but you don't have to fall victim to everybody else is taking a closer. I'm taking one right now. That's not the only reason I like Fairbanks. I think that it works from the price standpoint, which is what it you know comes down to today, but the skills have pretty much always been there, and specifically these last two seasons. The underlying numbers are absurdly good. You know, He had a 1-1-3 ERA in 2022. Yes, it was only 24 innings. That was a 112x FIP. He had a 0.86 FIP. Everything was good under the hood. This year, 258 ERA. He had a 283x FIP. He had a 270 FIP. Everything was, again, good under the hood for him. Not trying to make rhymes there, but it's just the fact of the matter. You got a 282 Sierra. You got a 37% strikeout rate. You got a guy who is pitching for a very good team, and you saw that this year. I know it does vary year in and year out where you're going to get production from, how many saves are going to be you know, allocated to good teams or bad teams or whatever. But he got 25 saves, pitching like you know, less than about half a season worth of game, a little more than half a season worth of games. If for that team, you know, he should be the guy. There should not really be a question as long as he's healthy. I know that they do weird things sometimes in Tampa, but Fairbanks has shown that he should be the guy, and I don't have any reason to doubt that heading into next year. So I'm going to have a lot of Pete Fairbanks because I think the price is just very reasonable compared to a lot of other closers with very similar skill sets. The whole thing with him being this late is health, and I don't think that's enough of a reason to really push him down as much as he has been. If you want to push him down a little bit for it, sure, but he should realistically be probably going in like the 80s, and you're getting him past pick 100. So a guy that I really like there to get things started off and we'll talk about another guy here that I really like as well. Someone that we have talked about on the show because he was in our outfield review slash preview that we have done. And that's Nick Castellanos. Nick Castellanos, 103 on the current ADP for him. Now, we've talked about Castellanos actually a couple of times this offseason, um, I believe anyway. It feels like we've talked about him a few different times. He was in the outfield preview slash uh, review. And then there was... Uh, once or twice where we have also talked about him on other shows. But we're going to talk about him here because his ADP is outside of the top 100, which I don't really understand. I don't know why Nick Castellanos should be going you know, anywhere beyond maybe like 70 or so based on the production that you get out of him. He's in an amazing lineup. He's got a close to 30 home run bat, 25 to 30 homers. Very solid batting average floor. You're getting some steals out of him as well. And this year it was double-digit steals. 
I just don't really see the need to be fading him, even if you just look at the projections. They're calling for him to be very similar to last year. 24 homers, 77 runs, 90 ribbies, 7 stolen bases, and a 260 batting average. You got that incredible lineup that he is in. You have so many factors with Castellanos that point to, well, maybe he is going to be one of the better values of draft season altogether. He's a guy who's almost guaranteed to give you top 100 production. And he's done that pretty much each of the last, I mean, I'm not going to count 2022 because it wasn't down here, but going back to like 2017 every year, you're looking at roughly a top 100 player in Nick Castellanos uh, this season. I'm just pulling up the Raswell player Raider because I know that's the one that a lot of people will like to look at. He was a $22.3 player in 12-team leagues. You are talking about, uh, and my Wi-Fi is just giving me a bit of grief here, the 35th ranked player, 35 according to Rasball this season. He was right up there. He was 44th, according to Yahoo. Now, without a change, really, in what he has done, in fact, he had a big improvement over the year prior, which was a down season, but he bounced back, which is as much as you can hope for after a down season. He bounced back. He's in a great lineup. He's got everything going for him in terms of the power, in terms of the batting average, 276 career hitter, so you're very safe there. I can't for the life of me really understand why Nick Castellanos has been pushed down the way that he has. I just don't. And there's not really much more than I can say on it than that. I just think that you're getting a guy past pick 100 who is, first of all, in those five outfielder leagues, that's really valuable because outfielders, the ones who are really going to be contributing, most of them are gone in the top 50 or 60 picks. We've been doing our outfield reviews, and I forget the exact number, but it was something like 30 or so or close or 25 or so outfielders took up the top 100 players. A good chunk of the value in fantasy does come from outfielders. If you're getting that same kind of value outside of where it should be going, and that's the whole point of these shows, right? You're getting value that should be based on what the projections are saying and what previous year's data is saying. It should be worth about X number of draft capital or auction dollars, but you're getting them for... You know, a much reduced price. And with Castellanos, I really don't understand it. There's nothing that will lean to me wanting to fade him this season at all. There has been some talk that maybe he does get traded. And if he does, then you got to kind of just reevaluate the whole situation there. Because there's a good part of his value that does come from being in a good lineup. But you can't take that away from him. Right now, if you look at what roster resource is projecting, should be pretty spot on at this point for the Phillies. Schwarber leading off. Trey Turner second. Bryce Harper third. Castellanos fourth, and then Bohm, Stott, Real Mudo, Brandon Marsh, and Johan Rojas in center and rounding out the lineup. That is an incredibly deep lineup. The RBI opportunities with those three batting in front of him, it's almost a sure thing that he's going to get 100 ribbies. The 30 homer thing is like it's going to be close to 30, 25, 30 kind of range. And he started stealing bases in the last couple of seasons to the point where you could probably pencil him in for at least six or seven. I don't know if he's going to hit 11 again, but six or seven is definitely something uh, when you're talking about a guy who previously given you pretty much the same kind of production, and now he has just added stolen bases to the mix. Not a huge positive, but you don't need a hell of a lot of stolen bases from him for it to really be worth it. Top 50 production is definitely in the cards for him. He's a guy who's shown us he can spike close to a 300 season, if not even slightly above 300 season. I know it was in Cincinnati, but he did hit 309 just two years ago. I think that Castellanos is one of those guys that is being pushed down because people are just excited about other, you know, hot new toys inside the top 100. 
and he's getting pushed down, not because of anything that he did, just because people are eager to push up these other guys who are not as proven as Castellanos. We're talking about a 10-year career here where he has been a solid contributor pretty much the whole way. Took him a few years in Detroit to figure it out, but since 2017, he has been an incredible player. 100 RBI threat, 100 run threat, 300 batting average threat, and a potential 25-30 homers. Give me Nick Castellanos past pick 100 every single time at this point. And again, and I say that, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek because I don't want to take anybody on every single team. But at that price, I'll take him on quite a few teams this year. Let's talk Josh Naylor. We have talked Josh Naylor a couple of times, but he is one of the best values, I think, in drafts at this point. So we are going to mention him here for those of you who may have missed our previous shows where he was brought up. He's been mentioned in the first base show. He was mentioned in the outfielder show because that is where his eligibility lay. Now we're just getting first base, but I did mention on the last uh, time we did discuss him that if Kyle Manzardo does make the opening day team in Cleveland, Josh Naylor's probably going back and playing enough outfield that he does gain that eligibility back next year. So I wouldn't draft him and think that that's a surefire thing, but it's definitely something that could happen and it wouldn't surprise me or really anybody because Manzardo is probably going to be making the opening day team uh, and then they're going to need to find a place for Naylor. It might be some DH at-bats, but I think that it wouldn't take much on a lot of sites for him to get outfield back as well. But that's besides the point here. Really, the point is that you're getting Josh Naylor, on average, at pick 134, for a guy who, if he hadn't been injured this season, you're probably looking at a top 30 or 40 player. At absolute worst, you're probably looking at a top 30 or 40 player from him. That's how amazing Naylor was, even in... an awful, awful lineup. And I did not expect Cleveland to be as bad as they were. I thought that they were going to slowly kind of build on what we saw the year prior, where they were a really good team, and it just didn't happen. But even with that, Josh Naylor, in his 452 at-bats, 121 games, he had 97 ribbies. 97 ribbies for that offense. And I know RBIs are more of a team stat, but we saw it the year before as well. He had 79 of them in 122 games. I think it's just more of a lineup opportunity thing, and the fact that Naylor does put the ball in play Quite a bit. We're talking about a guy who had 31 doubles in 121 games. You're talking about a 40-plus double pace. He had 17 homers in 121 games, so you're looking at a 20-plus homer pace. And then he batted over 300. He was a 308 hitter. He was able to trim the strikeout rate down, which is something he's done now every year pretty much. I'm not going to count 2020 because it's too short of a season to really gain anything from it. And a lot of these are small sample sizes to begin with, but his strikeout rate as a pro has gone from 23 to 18 to 16 down to 13. That is incredible year-over-year production from a guy who is still only 26 years old. I don't know what the team around him is going to look like, but Naylor has shown to be kind of recession-proof in that regard. As long as he's healthy and he's playing what's going to be probably 130, 140 games, assuming that he is healthy, you're looking at 20 home runs. You're looking at probably 70-ish runs. That's been a struggle for him the last couple of years because the offense around him has just sucked. He only had 52 runs despite having 97 ribbies. It's a huge discrepancy there. But it's just a nature of the lineup that he plays for. Get Manzardo in there, maybe one or two other offseason additions. It might look a little better. But as of right now, the runs are the only thing that I'm really going to be worried about because he started stealing bases as well this year. He had six of them in 2022, but he went up to double digits this season while losing a game from the year prior. So I don't think that he's going to be a huge stolen base guy. He's 250 pounds. He's not going to be sprinting around the bases a lot. But I think you can see maybe eight or ten stolen bases from him, 20-plus homer power. I think if you're combining the runs and RBIs, which is kind of a good way to do it because it does vary, you're probably banking on about 150, roughly 150 from him. 
I don't know if that'll be 90 and 60 or 80 and 70 kind of range, but I think about 150 is what you can expect. And then we have seen now over the last couple of years, specifically in 2023, that that batting average is going to be more of an asset than we might have thought. He looked like he was more of a 250 to 260 hitter. I think that he's probably closer to 270, 280, and the projections have him for 284. That might be a little bit lofty for me in terms of the projections, but let's call it 22 homers. 70 runs, 85 RBI, eight stolen bases, and a 280 batting average. You're getting a guy who is very likely to be dual eligible at some point next season. Again, it's something that we've seen from him in the past, and even just this year on Yahoo, he was first base and outfield. So you might be getting a dual eligible guy in an improving lineup at a reduced price simply because he was hurt and he missed 40 games this year. If Josh Naylor hadn't missed 40 games this year, we might have been looking at a top 50 player. Because even with that time miss, which is a third of the year, he was still the 110th ranked player. That is really, really strong. You're talking easy top 100 production if he doesn't miss time. Easy. And you're getting him close to pick 140. 135, 140 kind of range. I don't get it. That's round nine. That is really good value for somebody with the potential of Josh Naylor. He is a superstar in the making. Would be I would be surprised if he doesn't make the All-Star game this year. Uh, I'm just really big on Josh Naylor. Of course, there's maybe a little bit of Canadian bias there. But objectively speaking, look at the numbers. Like The guy has been an absolute tank. Uh, it was really a shame to see him go down and miss some time this year. But assuming that doesn't happen again, I think the wheels should be up for Mr. Naylor. Now, another guy that we have mentioned on the show a little bit, but it has been a little while. Uh, it was Andy Diaz is the next guy we're going to talk about. 138 is his current ADP. I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I've, again, I apologize if you heard this before because I have gone on about Yandy Diaz a couple times this offseason, but the price just is really stupid. It makes no sense why people would push him down. I have him on both of the teams I've drafted so far this year. His projections are 21 homers, which I think might be a little high, but we'll get to that in a second. 100 runs, 72 ribbies, four stolen bases, and a 295 batting average. That is what Steamer has down for Yandy Diaz. Steamer. I don't know how to feel about it exactly because there are certain hits and certain misses every year. But if you just look at what they are projecting right now in terms of WRC+, we've talked about this particular metric as well. So again, apologies if you've heard it, but it is worth repeating. They're projected WRC+, leaders for next year, the top five. No real surprises. Jordan Alvarez, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, Aaron Judge, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Number six. Andy Diaz, projected for a 144 WRC+, plus, ahead of Kyle Tucker, ahead of Freeman, Shohei, Harper, Olsen, Betts, Seager, Tatis, you name it, he's ahead of them, unless it's those first five guys I've mentioned. That is how lofty the data is on Yandy Diaz. You're talking about a guy who is going to be leading off every single day, pretty much, I, I mean, everyday leadoff hitter is what you can call him, for one of the best offenses in baseball. It doesn't matter what the personnel is. They are going to be a top offense in baseball. It's just the way that baseball works. For whatever reason, Tampa is always good. I can't really explain it a lot of the time, but that's where we are. You get a guy leading off of that team who is a 300 kind of batting average guy. He's a 290 career hitter who just went 330 and won the batting title, projected to go 295. He could very easily go 312. He could go 286. He could go anywhere in that range, but you're getting a batting average asset. The homers... I don't think that the power greatly really improved this year. They talked a lot about his launch angle change early in the season. It, it helped him early in the year, but over the course of the season, and I know he did end up hitting more than 20 home runs, but it was really distributed pretty unevenly. Uh, 13 in the first half, and 12 of those 22 were in the first two months of the season. And then you had zero in June, two in July, three in August. 
So I don't know that the power is necessarily legit, but even if he's like a 16 home run guy, you're getting close to 100 runs, you're getting 70 to 80 ribbies, maybe a couple steals, and you're getting a crazy batting average asset. And at that point of the draft, the guys that you're getting for batting average are usually not sexy. They are the Luis Arise types who will give you pretty much nothing else. Or you can get Yandy Diaz, who is going to give you a little bit of everything, maybe not steals so much, but you're getting a lot from what you're paying for Yandy, which at this point is, I'm not going to say it's nothing, but it's like ninth round. For a guy like Yandy, I just, uh, I don't know why people are pushing him down. If you want to expect a little bit of regression, sure, but that's baked into the price and then some. Like Yandy Diaz this season, where depending on where you're looking, he was generally like a top 30 or 40 player. And now the price is going down 100 picks because regression like I don't I don't really understand that in and of itself if there are certain reasons you don't like Andy I can't really find any but I I mean maybe that would be why I'd be going down but just in terms of like oh he can't do it again there's no way he can do it again I understand people thinking that because it was a breakout year from him but the data supports it when the data supports it and the data knows a lot more than we do that's the thing a lot of people will try and shit on data and shit on the new innovations that baseball is trying to make and sometimes they can be annoying i'll admit but generally speaking when the numbers are all telling you the guy is an elite offensive player i don't know if he's the sixth best offensive player in baseball but when the numbers are that lofty on a guy there's not really much of a reason to doubt him yes use your own noggin use your own eye test whatever blah 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 but nobody's eye test is gonna be better than what the numbers are telling you i don't care if you're the greatest evaluator in history Look at the numbers with Diaz and tell me why he is going where he's going. It simply makes no sense. I would be comfortable taking him inside the top 100 picks, but you don't need to. So you can take him at 130. If you want to be real comfortable, make sure you get him like in the 120 kind of range, and you should be totally fine and have Yandy Diaz on your team this year because I don't think anybody else is paying that price. Maybe in individual drafts, people will want to push him up, but I think a lot of the time he's going to be going way too late. Let's talk about another guy, Wilson Contreras. I've talked about him on our catcher show, and I also mentioned him on one of my draft review shows because I did take him in one of my leagues. Uh, Wilson Contreras and Alejandro Kirk. We'll see how that works in a two-catcher format. But if you look at what he did this season, despite it being a really poor start to the year and everybody was so worried about Wilson Contreras, he did what he does every single season. 20 homers, 67 ribbies, 55 runs, 6 stolen bases, and a 264 batting average. The batting average was the highest it's been since 2019 when everything was kind of a little bit wonky. 20 home runs right in line with what he always does. Six steals was a career high. He got the walk rate back above 10%, 10.3, which is really strong. He has occasionally been there. He's had 10.5, 10.8 a couple times in his past. But to get back over 10% is really, really good. Now, why is Wilson Contreras going in the 150s? To be precise, 151. I really don't know. And this, again, goes back to what I said off the top. The two catcher formats are going to skew a lot of things, but the thing that they'll skew the most is catcher ADP. In a two catcher format, you will see guys who are drafted way, way, way higher in NFBC leagues than they should be in your home league. Adley Rutschman in the 50s, Real Muto in the 60s, Will Smith in the 80s. These guys don't need to be taken there, assuming you guys are playing in your Yahoo league. There's no need for it because guys get artificially inflated when you need more of them. Maybe it's not artificial. Maybe it is legit in the way it should be. But think about it for those of you who play fantasy football. If you are playing in a league with one quarterback, those quarterbacks get taken in the third round or the fourth round. If you're, And those are like where they start to get taken. You know, the Pat Mahomes, the, the Lamar Jacksons, the Josh Allens, they don't go, even though they are elite players, they don't go until round three or round four, maybe sometimes in round two or whatever. 
Once you make it a super flex league and you have two quarterbacks where you need to be starting them, that's when the prices get pushed up and these guys start going, you know, they're filling up the whole first round with quarterbacks. It's a very similar uh, problem with catchers where guys will get pushed up because you need more of them. So when it comes down to the ADP of your Yahoo is and your ESPNs and whatnot, it'll vary. And I'm not sure what catcher ADP will look like this year in one catcher leagues because I've just been looking at it in two catcher leagues. But assuming that you are drafting now, and this is kind of what these videos are for. If you're drafting in March, another thing I said at the top, I don't know that these are going to help you so much because the prices are going to change. These are more for the early drafter, these videos, and for those of you who just like to hear me ramble on. But if you're drafting right now, Contreras at 151, it does make sense because that is a two-catcher ADP, and you're likely drafting in a two-catcher league at this point. If you are drafting in a one-catcher league, then reach out to me. I'll help you guys out. We'll talk it through in the DMs or wherever or just out on Twitter. And we'll talk about what the board looks like because I haven't seen any boards for one-catcher leagues. But for those of you guys who are playing in the NFBC, if you're looking for values in that format, Wilson Contreras going off the board as the 11th catcher I think makes a lot of sense here. He's going you know, 70 picks after his brother. And I don't really know when that happened. That Even though William Contreras had an amazing season, that he became that much better than his older brother. Wilson Contreras is still playing in a much better lineup. I think that he is still a more stable asset. You know, you're going to get higher batting average from William Contreras, but I think that's kind of it there. Wilson is going way later, and he is somebody that I think has honestly got to the point of being underrated almost. When there are players where you know consistently what they're going to give you pretty much every year without that much variance, if you look at his everything totals, the last four full seasons, Homers, 24, 21, 22, and 20. Runs are 57, 61, 65, and 55. RBIs are 64, 57, 55, and 67. And the batting average is 272, 237, 243, 264. You are getting into the territory with Contreras where you just can write the numbers down before the season. 20 homers, 60 and 60, probably five steals, and we'll call it a 250 batting average. And that's Excellent for a catcher, especially outside of the first 10 rounds of a 15-teamer. You can very comfortably take Wilson Contreras as your first catcher, and some of you will maybe even take him as your second catcher because you'll have taken a, a Rutschman or whoever, but you can take him as your first, and then you can go for one of these guys that you can kind of speculate on a little bit for your second guy because you have an anchor with your first position, and it goes back to the Pete Fairbanks argument of people are going to take their quote-unquote anchors early on, but if you can find an anchor later in you know, past pick 100, why not take that chance? Wilson Contreras, you get him with your first catcher, and then as a second one, you go with a Bo Naylor or a Jonah Haim, Logan O'Hoppe, Kiber Ruiz, Luis Camposano, Tyler Stevenson, Elias Diaz, Alejandro Kirk. These guys are all going in the next 100 picks after, and they are all very viable C2s. They could all be a very strong catcher, number two on your team. Not necessarily guys you want to be having as your number one catcher. You might be able to get away with a Naylor or a Haim as your number one catcher, but if you can take Contreras there, let everybody else worry about pushing catchers up into the third round. You know, let them take their catcher in the third round and let them take their closer in the fourth round. You can take your Fairbanks and you can take your Contreras at well past pick 100. Well, Fairbanks not so far past. And you get those anchors at the position a lot later than a lot of people are paying. And you can use those early rounds to get some more scarce positions or categories taken care of. I really, really recommend Wilson Contreras as your number one catcher this season. And I don't have a problem if you want to take Cal Raleigh 
or Yainer Diaz or even William Contreras. Any of the guys, really. I don't have a massive problem with them. I haven't done a full deep dive. Into, I mean, we did our reviews, but I haven't done my projections yet for catcher. I don't really have a problem with any of them, but I just don't see the need to be pushing guys up when you can find very similar value later down the board. Wilson Contreras is a huge example of that at pick 151. Let's move on, though, and let's talk about Vinny P., the Italian breakfast himself. We didn't get to see nearly as much of him this season as I would have hoped for. He missed nearly the entire season. I believe it was a torn labrum that he did have. It was a torn labrum indeed in his right shoulder, and he missed near damn near the whole season, 101 games. He played 61 times. He had nine homers. He had 24 runs, 26 ribbies, and he batted 247, which was not really what we were hoping for. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to judge Vinny Pasquantino on half of a season here where he ended up getting hurt and didn't really get a chance to fully flourish. Because if you look at what he did in 2022, it was super impressive over a 72-game sample size. You're getting a guy who walks more than he strikes out, or at least walks as much as he strikes out. In 2022, it was 35 walks to 34 strikeouts. This past season, it was 25 walks to 31 strikeouts. Those kind of guys, that kind of play discipline, it just shows you the overall profile. He knows how to be a major league hitter. There's not any massive adjustment period coming for him where the strikeout rate flies up, the walk rate flies down. Slight changes, of course. You know, that walk rate was 9.6. It wasn't over 10%, but you're still looking at like, okay, this guy's got doing elite things at the plate. The home runs, nine of them in 61 games. You're probably hoping for a little more, but at the end of the day, you know, you're talking about what is that, like a 25 home run pace? That's about what you can expect from Vinny P. I think the runs and RBIs are going to be interesting because we've seen Bobby Wood Jr. be able to sustain himself pretty much on his own in that lineup for two years with good volume stats. And that's something that we always talk about in fantasy is you need to have guys on good teams to get the volume stats, not necessarily. A guy like Vinny P could very well give you 80 and 80 or 90 and 90 just by playing off of what Bobby Witt does. Bobby Witt's given you almost 100 and 100 each of the last two years. It was like 85, 85, and then this year was like 98 and 97 or something for runs and RBIs. It doesn't necessarily need to be a guy playing at Dodger Stadium or in Atlanta or something like that to produce those kind of numbers. So that's something to keep in mind because I'll do it myself too. I'll devalue guys on bad teams because I think, well, the runs and RBIs are probably not going to be there, but a lot of the time they are, and especially where there are certain players who are kind of in their own way. I'll use it for the second time here on the show, this quote, recession-proof kind of. Guys, where you don't really have to worry about what's going on around them, where they are. And I think Vinny P is that kind of talent. He's going to get on bases at a ridiculous clip. He's going to have solid 20 to 25 homer power in that lineup, and that's all you really need there with the great play profile. He's going to get on base a lot. He's not going to strike out a lot. Like those things are, it's very basic, but it's just things like that where, you know, that's sometimes all you need. And considering the price last year was borderline top 100, and now you're getting him at pick 170 for the pretty much sole reason being that he just missed the season because he was hurt. That's exactly the kind of buying opportunity that the smartest people in fantasy will always tell you about. The guy who is not, you know, we've talked about, I don't want to slander them anymore, really, but, you know, Nolan Jones and Royce Lewis, these guys are going in the top 30, 40, 50 picks because people are all interested in the hot new toy. Vinny P was the hot new toy last year, and now we've forgotten about him because he got hurt. That's where you have a buying opportunity here. I pick 170, actually it's 172 right now. I don't think you can really get hurt too badly with Vinny P, regardless of your format. There are a lot of guys you're dropping in that range anyway, depending on your league size. Of course, if you're like a draft champions, it's obviously different, but it's like the 12th round of a 15-teamer. And if you're talking uh, 12-teamer, you're, you know, it's 15th round or something like that. 
I just don't see there being that much of a risk at that point, assuming, you know, there's, there's a couple different factors, but you know, a lot of leagues, you are going to have a replacement level kind of first baseman on the wire. It doesn't have to be a superstar, but if things don't pan out for Vinny P at that price, you can take your L and move on and find somebody. And it's not the end of the world. You're not paying the Royce Lewis, Nolan Jones kind of hype price of if it doesn't pan out, then that is the end of the world. My season's probably, you know, kaput if you're losing your third round or fourth rounder. But if you lose your 15th rounder, your 16th rounder, because they're not panning out. And that's that's another thing, too. I don't expect it to not pan out. That's like the worst case scenario. It should absolutely pan out. It's just talking about like if he gets hurt, if the bottom really falls out from under him, he's not healthy or whatever then the cost is not to the point where you're going to be killing yourself over, you know, drafting Vinny P there. I think that, you know, there's a lot of factors, the injury, the bad team around him that will lead people to just kind of passing up Vinny Pasquantino, despite the fact that his profile overall could still be a number one first baseman in fantasy. It would take a few years probably, but he could be a number one or at very least like a top three kind of first baseman for fantasy. So I think that this, at this price, you can't really go wrong if it doesn't work out, if he gets hurt, whatever, you can drop him, and the cost is not to the point where it's really going to be hurting you that much. So I really like Vinny P. The projections really like Vinny P. They have him going for 24 homers, 85 ribbies, and a 276 batting average while chipping in a couple stolen bases. You got to love that. You got to love the price, and you got to love Vinny P in general, of course. Let's talk about a pitcher. There's only one pitcher, starting pitcher, I should say, in this range that we are going to be going over today, and that's Carlos Rodon. Carlos Rodon... What a disaster 2023 it was. I'm sure the Yankees were just beside themselves seeing that the way this whole thing shaped out. They gave him $162 million over six years. You're talking about $27 million annually for Rodon, and he earned every penny of it. If you look at what he did the previous two years in Chicago and in San Francisco, you're talking about a guy who was elite, an absolutely elite pitcher. I had him ranked as a top five pitcher in baseball before the injury news hit before the season started. And you might have got screwed drafting Rodon really early if you you know you took him in the second or third round and then you found out he was going to miss a lot of time. That probably really hurt your season. And then the constant you know delays and the setbacks with the recovery time, it was very frustrating. And a lot of people where you drafted Rodon, you almost had to hold on to him. But you got 64 innings of a 6.85 ERA with 22% strikeout rate and a 10% walk rate. It was absolutely a disaster. For Carlos Rodon, like there, I don't think it could have possibly been a worse season as a Yankee or as an anybody uh, based on what happened here. Now, I am going to give him a pass because there were too many injuries that you know. I, I just don't want to say like, oh, it was it was Rodon. You know, he's just not as good as we thought. There was so many injuries and the fact that he never really got the chance to get going this year. I know that he started 14 games down the stretch. But he never had the chance to properly get acclimated to the environment, go through the spring training process, and then actually get comfortable pitching at Yankee Stadium. He just was kind of thrust in midseason once he was kind of at one point deemed okay to go. When he probably wasn't, in retrospect, it looks like he really wasn't. And maybe that's just you know hindsight trying to find excuses for him. But we know that Carlos Rodon is nowhere near this bad. Carlos Rodon was one of the best pitchers and worthy of a Cy Young in each of the last two seasons. In in other years with different candidates around him, you could easily look at both of these years as being Cy Young finalists, Cy Young winning seasons. Now to go from that to just the bottom completely falling out in one year at age 30, 
I'm going to give him a mulligan. I'm going to give him a pass, especially because you're not paying for it this year. You're paying 176 right now on the ADP. Will it move up a little bit? Maybe. But he's not somebody where there's going to be a hell of a lot of hype unless you maybe see a couple of spring starts where the, the velo looks up and, you know, he's striking out six guys in three innings and, you know, shutout ball, whatever it is. Maybe you see it move up a little bit. But this is generally what you're paying for Rodon. 10th, 11th, 12th cut around. That is the range where you're going to be drafting him. After previously drafting him as like a third rounder. And if the only reason for that is injury, and I, the injury led to the bad performance, and that's what I'm going to be banking on when I'm drafting him. It's not that you know the injury was an excuse or whatever. Like, no, he was legitimately hurt multiple times, had so many setbacks that you can honestly, I forget how many there were at this point. There was like three different times, at least twice, but I think three different times where he had to stop his throwing program and start from scratch. Mentally, that takes it out of you. Physically, that takes it out of you. And I'm not willing to look at what happened in 2023 as being anything close to a real version of Rodon. I think even the projections factoring them in are probably doing us a disservice. But even with that, it's a 377 projected ERA. They think the strikeout rate will get back up. I don't know if it'll get back up to what we saw in the last couple of years, but they think it'll be back up to 28 from 34 and 33. It'll be 28. I think that you could easily see him hit a 30% strikeout rate. We saw the control was really good in 21 and 22. It went away this year, but again, I am just basing this whole analysis on the fact that I think Rodon was not healthy. He was not given a, I wouldn't even like he wasn't given a shot. He was, but it's just that his body, it wasn't, you know, the timing was just terrible for everything. And the way that the season played out, I don't think it was really necessarily fair the way that he was brought back. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm just finding excuses for him because I really like the guy. But I just think when you're writing off a guy because of one season where they were hurt, it doesn't really make a hell of a lot of sense. So I will be happily taking Carlos Rodon in that 170 range, in the 180s, 160s, 150s, wherever he's going, as long as we don't push him up inside the top 130 or 140 probably because, hell, like I said, He's a second or third round player that you're now getting 10 plus rounds beyond that. At that point, you got to take a chance. And maybe you don't have to. Again, like I said, I'm a huge Rodon fan, and maybe a part of this is coming from my bias towards him. But I just think the guy is super, super talented. He's a potential ace that you're drafting at that price. And at that price, I mean, there's really not so many pitchers that I'm going to be jumping over the moon to be drafting, right? Like there's guys that are you're fairly comfortable about taking in that range, but it's also not a, an era or group where you're going to be like, oh, this is a stud here. You got Chris Sale and Bailey Ober sandwiching him. You got Shane Bieber going ahead of him. Christian Javier, who was god-awful. Yanir Cano, who, different position, he's a reliever, but he was not exactly sharp down the stretch himself. You know, you got Shane Baz going right around him, Bryce Miller. It's not like you're looking at a bunch of aces that you're passing up to take Carlos Rodon. It's a lot of ifs, and the if with Rodon is absolutely there, but the upside is higher than anybody else going in this tier. So I think he's got to be somebody that you take a chance on. He's the 70th pitcher, starters and relievers going off the board. So somebody that I would definitely be paying attention to at that price. Let's talk about one more player today. We mentioned him when we did our outfield show, Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo, I was shocked, honestly, that we've now seen two consecutive fully healthy seasons from him. I didn't think he had it in him. Just looking at the start of his career to what's happened over these last several years, 32 games in his first cup of coffee, followed by 69 games in 2017. He played 140 games in 2018, and you're thinking, okay, you know, he's, he's healthy. Followed that up with 69 games in 2019. He played 55 out of 60 in the short season. 
And then he played 92 in a 2021 season that was, again, a full year. So you're looking at one, maybe two, if you want to count the short season, fully healthy years for Brandon Nemo in his whole career. He went fully healthy in 2022, and the, Yan- the Mets gave him a fat contract, $162 million over eight years. I thought that they were kind of crazy. You know, you're giving a guy $20 million who's shown you know, one healthy season out of the past five. I don't know if it was overall the profile scared me or what it was, but not even really the profile. I think it was more so just the health and the fact that I just didn't think Brandon Nimmo was so spectacular. I thought he was fine, but I didn't think that he was anything to write home about. This past season, in 2023, <clears throat> he had a career-high 24 homers. He had 89 runs, 68 ribbies. He stole three bases, and he hit the exact same 274 mark that he had the year prior. He proved this all wrong. Those of us who were kind of doubting his health, it was not really so much about the actual Brandon Nimmo. If he's healthy, he's leading off for the Mets. Things should be pretty okay from that standpoint. I just didn't think we'd be able to see another healthy season from him. But now that he's shown us two healthy seasons in a row... And he's produced two back-to-back borderline top 100 fantasy seasons. The price hasn't moved. The price is the same. You know, 137 was his rank on Yahoo. So you're not talking top 100, but you're talking pretty damn close. I'm just going to see where he ranked on the Raswell Player Raider. He was a $12.5 player in 12-team leagues. So you're talking about, what are we talking about? Like just outside the top 100 here. He was ranked 108 on Raswell. And now we are getting Brandon Nimmo at pick 195 because why? I have no good reason why he should be going that late in drafts. Is it because you're worried about the Mets around him, that you think the team is not going to be good? It's a fair argument, but the team wasn't good this year, and Brandon Nimmo just popped off for a career-high season. You know, the run came back a little bit, but we talked about 102 down to 89. It wasn't like it was some drastic fall-off in runs where, oh, my God, Brandon Nimmo, it wasn't like a Josh Naylor-esque 50-run season. You still got, excuse me, you still got a lot of production out of him. I just don't see why the price didn't move up requisite with the production we've seen the last couple of years. Is he still going to be leading off for the Mets next year? Absolutely. Is it going to be Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso batting right behind him? Barring anything crazy, yeah. I know people talk about Pete Alonso getting traded. They're not trading Pete Alonso. Craziest thing I've ever heard. Lindor is obviously locked in there. Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Mark Bientos, Ronnie Mauricio. There is so much talent around him. I just can't see this team staying down on the mat for another season. And even if they do, Brandon Nimmo has shown that he can be a guy who is valuable in and of himself. 24 homers, you're hitting 274, stealing a couple bases, there's value in that, especially in a five outfielder league at pick 200. Give me a break. Brandon Nimmo at that point is a guy that I would feel comfortable taking on pretty much every single team. <clears throat> a leadoff hitter for a competent to semi-competent offense. Those do not grow on trees. Those are usually gone in the first 30, 40 picks. To get him at pick 200, like I think that that's just ridiculous. I have no idea why he is going this late. I've not seen anything about any you know underlying injuries that are going to make him you know, have to sit out to start the year or or anything of that nature. I just see people passing on him in drafts and sometimes going outside of the top 200 picks. A 130 WRC plus last year, 133 the year before. He's a 133 WRC plus guy for his career. I just think that there's a lot of security here in Nimmo, assuming that he is able to be healthy. And if he's not healthy, then he's not going to meet this mark. But, I mean... That's kind of the thing with every player. If a, if a guy's not healthy, he's not going to meet your draft price. What if the draft price is 100 picks lower than it should be? 
at that point, are you willing to take a chance on the guy? Because I think I am pretty much every single time, and that is where Brandon Nimmo falls. So just to recap the list once more, it's Pete Fairbanks, Nick Castellanos, Josh Naylor, Yandy Diaz, Wilson Contreras, Vinny Pasquantino, Carlos Rodon, and Brandon Nimmo. Those are the guys between picks 100 and 200 that I am targeting at this point in drafts. It'll change a little bit as ADP moves around. If Nimmo falls outside of the top 200, if Fairbanks goes inside of the top 100, whatever, there will be moving pieces, which is why we will keep talking over on Twitter and over on the show here as well throughout the offseason to kind of keep you guys updated on what my thoughts are and what the draft boards are saying, because that's a huge part of what I do in the offseason to just go through the ADP boards, see who's moving around and see where the value is. Tomorrow, we'll talk fades. We'll talk guys in this same 100 to 200 range that I'm staying away from for one reason or another in drafts. We will get to all of that on tomorrow's show. Of course, the usual caveat, if Otani signs, we drop everything and we talk about Otani because he is worthy. If Soto gets traded, especially to my Blue Jays, you're damn sure we're doing a show on that as well. But either, other than those major events happening, we'll be talking about ADP fades tomorrow. You guys can reach out with any questions, comments, or anything else on Twitter at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB, and always be checking out SportsEthos.com for any updates at all. But guys, that will do it. Appreciate you guys hanging out. Until tomorrow, take care, have a great night, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.